so thankful for the Word of God. We ought to have such a hunger and such a passion for the Word of God. Amen. And we have to ask ourselves as believers, is, this, is the Word of God something that I'm hungry for? Because it'll let you know where you're at on his, come on, on his scale from 1 to 10. Where can you honestly rate your hunger and your passion for the Word of God? Amen. You know, it's always good to do a checkup from the neck up, right? It's always good. Say, it's good for me. It's good for me. It's good for me to do a checkup. Hallelujah. And so I'm so thankful for the Word of God because really it's the Word of God that forever changed my life and continues to change my life. Hallelujah. And so these last few uh, weeks, uh, after everybody got over the fact that I wanted to kill Pastor Earl... <laughs> Oh, I didn't think I was ever going. I mean, they were still talking about it at the office all week after, afterwards. They'd come up to him, Pastor, I'm so thankful you're still alive. So thankful we have you. I'm thankful too. Because I tell you what, I have learned how to sit up underneath my husband. He's my pastor husband. And receive, amen, from him as my pastor and receive the word of God, receive instruction, receive correction, receive admonishment, encouragement, all the things that the word of God is supposed to do in our life when we're submitted up underneath the pastor. Amen. To equip us. And I am who I am today because the majority of our marriage I have set up under him as my pastor. Amen. Hallelujah. Which was a whole nother mind's, mind battle in itself. But we don't have time to talk about that journey. And so everybody was excited to hear about these little journeys that we've taken together to get to where we are today. Uh, and, 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 you know, just so thankful um, that uh, I didn't quit on God didn't quit on God and what he was trying to do within my heart and within my life. As I said last week, to restore everything that the devil tried to steal from my life. He's restored it. Amen. Every bit of it. Since the time I was three years old, God has restored my life completely, wholly. Because we've been talking about the fact that the word of God uh, is supposed to uh, save our souls and that we need the Word of God for the saving of our souls, that once we get born again, our spirit man is recreated in Christ. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our spirit man is new. But it's the mind that has to be transformed and renewed. And the only thing the Scripture says that can save our mind or our soul is the engrafted word of God. 
And we started off by talking about the fact that there's just been so much in these last probably 10 years concerning mental illness and mental health. And, you know, so many people uh, that have been uh, dealing with mental issues and mental awareness, suicide, bipolar, mental problems, and there, for such, for some reason, it seems as if it's come to the forefront as an epidemic. Yet we have every medication known to man, and it stills not helping. And so I do want to reiterate what I said from the beginning. This is not to diminish that people really do have mental illness. And I am not here because, as I said, when you make statements like that, emphatic statements like that, people think that you're not being sympathetic or that you are uh, being too harsh. Um, And as I said, from the very start of this uh, series that I know people have mental illness. I know where the roots of those mental illness come from. And, you know, and I also am aware that there are people that really need help from physicians and medical doctors because they're not to a place where they have received the engrafted word of God. They may not even be born again, and so they need a doctor. But I also said that his word said uh, that he sent his word to heal us of all of our diseases, and they consider mental illness a disease. So if he can heal cancer, then he can heal my mind. And we said from the very beginning that God is not just concerned about your spirit man so that when you die, you get to heaven. No, he came to restore everything back to you. Spirit, soul, and body. And we know even our body, our spirit's made new. Our body will be glorified. When we meet up with him, right, we're going to be glorified in our body. So our body's going to be made new. But we also have to recognize uh, that he wants us to have a sound mind. He wants us to have mental wellness. Do you know there's mental wellness centers? You could call this a mental wellness center. Because God is concerned about your mind. Because your mind is messed up before you get born again. And I said last week that I just read an article from Christian leaders that said we should no longer let people know that, that uh, their mental illness is from sin, the curse and the, of the fall, or from um, demonic oppression. So now we have a whole, the whole Christian society and leaders backing off of what we've known for years in Scripture just because of not wanting to upset our culture today and where we're at. Because I know many people 
that have battled mental illness and been on medication for years and still have issues. And we've said this, that medicine uh, cannot, you cannot medicate a demon and demonic oppression in people's mind. And for lost people, some of them are demon-possessed. And it is still happening in the earth today. We are to lay hands on the sick. We are to cast out devils. Mark, right? We're still to do that today. And so there are people that have those issues. One of the greatest things that I ever Back in the 90s when I, you know, I said I've been serving the Lord and, and, and living for the Lord every day of my life for 28 years. I keep having to add another year to it. Uh, I've been saying 27, but I forgot we had another anniversary, so it's 28 years. And uh, I remember back in the early 90s um, listening to a minister, uh, Dr. Rob Thompson, and back then in the early 90s, I don't know where he is today because I, lo- I know a lot of well-known ministers today that have come off and backed off because of culture and being on TV of what they once really believed. I know it for a fact. And so uh, he literally shared his testimony of being in a sane asylum. He was mental. And was in a sane asylum. And and went through all kinds of treatment. Every kind of treatment known to man. To get into back to his right mind. But he said the only thing that saved him was the word of God. And years of renewing his mind. Usually they said that when you go into the sane asylum like he did. And his uh, diagnosis and everything. that, That you never get out. But he's out and has a well-known ministry out in California. Like I said, I don't know what he teaches today. But I know in the early 90s he was on and he was teaching that it was only the engrafted Word of God which was able to save his mind. And he's in his right mind and been in ministry ever since and has a huge church and a huge ministry. Amen. So, instead of saying it don't work... We have to remember that the Word of God is infallible. And it does work for those who will believe. Now, if you want to stay to whatever you want to stay in and, and, and be, you know, a person that stays in those continual cycles, then you can be. But I'm saying there's people out here that want to be set free. They're tired of being insane. And the insanity. And they want to be free. And if nobody's going to preach that you can be free by the word of God, come on. It's the only thing that will set us free. And I like to say this, it's the only thing that will keep us free. It's the only thing that will keep us sane. Amen. And we said this, that all of us had a little mental illness. And we all learned how to self-medicate by drugs, relationships, alcoholism, uh, men, women, sex, 
whatever. We all had problems before Christ. And we all tried to self-medicate so that we don't have to think about our problems anymore. So we can just drink our problems away so that we could do whatever it was so that we don't have to think about the, the battles that were going on in our minds. All of us. And so we shared a little bit, you know, uh, hallelujah. My husband said, you probably won't get through your notes tonight either. I said, well, I got two more Wednesday nights, so there you go. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, just to remind you that God is so interested in our mind that he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Right? And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord. He wants the entire body, mind, and spirit sanctified. Amen. And then we are reading out of James. This is where we started our main scripture. Wherefore, James 1, 21 through 25, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul. And that word engrafted, we talked about the engrafting process, didn't we? How many of you have been here the last two Wednesdays? And I encourage you, it's up on... on uh, the website, go back and listen if you missed it because I'm laying a foundation so that people don't take me out of context and say that I think all of this mental illness is hogwash. I don't believe that I ever said that. So, the engrafted Word of God, which is able to save your soul, and it really, another word that we can look at when you look at it in the Amplified, it says actually rooted in your soul. Rooted in your soul. Actually rooted in your soul. And so this is what we're talking about. We have to take the Word of God, the engrafted Word of God, and become one with it because that's what the engrafting process is. To where you become one with the Word of God. You become one, not just with Him when you get born again, but you are to be engrafted within Him and become one so that His nourishment, His uh, everything that He is can run through you because that's the engrafted process. And we said when that engrafting process happens, even in the natural, it fights off disease. It fights off pestilence in the natural. And I thought it was something that he used that specific word. Amen. So, so many believers are just getting born again and thinking they're good to go, that when they die, they're going to go to heaven, but live a, a horrific life in the earth, never fully and entirely complete in Christ and walking in the fullness of restoration, God's original intent for you, fully to be walking in that complete restoration. And so we saw, uh, you know, 
uh, my little graft here, right? Here we have our body, and we talked about how the body, uh, the man, here's his brain, how the body and his spirit man, right? And it all has a what? Every human heart has a hole in it. Every human heart is also what? Broken. And only God himself can fill that void. Everyone is searching. Everyone is searching to fill that void in their heart that only God was supposed to fill. So, what did we say? We said that the spirit man is what connects with God. That's what he makes brand new, recreated in Christ when we get born again. It's the man, the spirit man that communes with God. And then we also talked about this body. Now we know this body, the problem is this body is not going to have anything done with it until we see him, till we take on the glorified body in the twinkling of an eye, right? Now, what does this body have? It has flesh, it has passions, and it has desires. So this is the body part of it, our flesh, our passions, our desires, right? But then we have our mind, or what we call the soul, all right? Oh, yeah, there you go, you. Okay, and we said the soul, the mind, is the will emotions, intellect, and reasonings. So these are all where we call the seed of our affections, our emotions, how we process. Our mind is, is where we receive our knowledge. And a lot of people, what we're seeing today, have what we call mental assent. They know plenty of scripture, but they've not let it, what? Engraft within their hearts, within their soul. They just know it. They have plenty of knowledge of the word, but they've not allowed it to be engrafted. How do you know? Because when you've allowed it to be engrafted within your heart, it's the only thing that comes up in the midst of your daily life. And it's the thing you actually do when you encounter a problem or a situation. Okay? And so we talked about that. Well, in our mind realm, that's where what? We have our thoughts, right? Well, I gave that little testimony of the journey that I was on. Uh, the rest of the story that Pastor talked about, right? When he got the wonderful call into ministry and I told him, uh, after we were only married three years, you know, and I told him, well, you didn't marry. I, I'm, I didn't marry a preacher. You married the wrong woman. I'm not pastor wife material. You know, I didn't get into this for this. I mean, you were bringing me to Atlanta to give me that six figure income, you know, and give me that white, that house with the white picket fence around it and the family that I never had. Right. And so he's telling me all these things Right? So my mind immediately is going into action. All these thoughts. Right? I mean, I don't play the piano. <laughs> I don't play the piano. And at that time, for some reason, I thought I had to wear no makeup and my hair in a bun and had this thought of what a pastor's wife looked like that was miserable. 
That must have been why I wanted to kill him. Anyway, <laughs> I had that thought. So, you know, and then told you about that whole story and how he, you know, moved us and the house was infested with roaches and, you know, all this process. And then that very night we're unpacking. I find out I'm pregnant. This was, you know, uh, Brianna's, what, 25 now? So that was, you know, 20, uh, huh? Yeah, it was in 93. You know, we had only been married about three years by then. And, and uh, so he takes me back to my dad's. And, you know, that was a, another big issue because I've been basically on my own since I was 15. You know, so, and I did not have a great relationship with my father. You may have heard the testimony. You know, I hated him because he divorced my mother when I was three years old, and I had no real relationship with him. But I was reading my Bible one day, probably between 18 and 21, and the Lord dealt with me and said, you need to forgive him. I wasn't in church at the time, but I was seeking God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me through the Word of God. Yeah. Nobody had to come and say, baby, you really need to do this. I read the Word. I obeyed what I heard. And I went and did it. And it set me free. Amen. Amen. And so, so here I'm going back to live with you know, him, and we didn't really have this wonderful relationship and everything, and so we're there, and then I tell you how he then says, I'm going to move you to South Carolina, and that was horrible, you know, we just went to seminary, which was a cemetery to me because I thought I was dying there, literally. These are the thoughts. I told you, I could have gone into a clinic and said I was clinically depressed. I looked back and realized I was depressed. I'm in a place with the guy I've only been married to three years. I've already got three children at 23. My life is a mess, I'm thinking. What have I done? I married someone else. I've got, I mean, you know, I am not sanctified in my mind. We are just start, you know, we had just started going to church, and it was a Baptist church. So I wasn't learning how to be led by the Spirit. I wasn't learning how to renew my mind. I was just learning that Jesus loved me and died for me. And so we're trying to navigate and follow God the best we knew how. Oh, praise God, you know, that His grace... <laughs> is sufficient. Amen. And his word. But I remember being so overwhelmed with what have I done? I've messed my life up again. You know, uh, we don't have any money. People were, we would wake up and food would be at the door because we didn't have any money. He was in seminary. He's, and I'm thinking I'm supposed to be marrying a preacher and never even heard him preach. And what if he doesn't even, what if he can't even preach out of brown paper back? You know, I mean, I don't even know. Am I going to have to sit up underneath somebody that don't even know how to preach? Seriously, these are thoughts that are bombarding my mind. We have no money. My kids are starving. You know, I can't even afford formula for my baby. You know, we have to put her on real nasty cold milk, you know, real cow's milk. It's not organic, you know. Uh, <laughs> 
All these things are going through my mind. We don't have anything. How am I, what have I done with my life? I've made it a mess. Again, you know, uh, just where are we going? What are we doing? You know, I mean, I literally wanted a divorce. I wanted out. Why did I want out? Because that was the pattern that I saw in my life. So I still had a mindset. I can take care of myself. I don't need a man. You know, uh, they've never been any good to me thus far. Come on, I'm being serious. This is the thoughts that are bombarding my mind that people think, oh, you're the pastor's wife. You ain't never had any problems. Are you kidding me? I could write a book on a multiplicity of problems that I had to learn how to grab hold of the Word of God and let it change my life because I would have died. So we're there, and then he's, I mean, I don't know what else to do. I'm distraught. I mean, we, you know, like I said, don't have any money. He's riding a bike to seminary school because of saving on gas because we didn't have any gas money. He's riding a bike. He, his wheel falls off the bike while he's riding home on the side of the road, and I'm thinking, great, we can't even afford to buy a new pedal or a, a pedal. It was a pedal. You know? And so, you know, I am just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. How are we going to pay the rent? How are we going to do this? How are we going to continue on? You don't even have a, you know, full-time job. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just all over the place. And I wanted to leave. I wanted to quit. And I even packed up my three kids in our blue minivan at the time. It was an old Aerosmith, uh, Aerostar, not Aerosmith. I probably was listening to him, too, or them. <laughs> that was my problem, probably. Anyway, I hadn't learned that be able to guard my mind and guard my heart and what you put in, you're going to reproduce, you know. And so anyway, I'm sure we weren't. No, we were listening to Michael W. Smith back then now. I can tell you that right now. Any DC talk, all those old school Christian music. Anyway, <laughs> oh, this is just a funny side note. Y'all okay with this funny side note? I'll never forget being in South Carolina and all this is going on. And, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then still. It was the early 90s, you know, like 93. And uh, so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you know, we had those remote phones, you know, regular phone, but they're remotes, you know. You can take them off the dock. Do they still have those today? Cordless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so long ago, I don't even know what it was. And uh, it was cordless. And uh, I remember getting a phone call and talking to somebody, and then all of a sudden I heard other people talking on it. 
And we sat there and listened to the whole conversation because it was about O.J. Simpson. Y'all remember that? When he's driving his Bronco down the highway and it was all the hoopla and they were carrying on and you know he's driving his Jaguar and all this stuff. I mean, I'm just sitting there listening to their conversation. Huh? That's a side note. Anyway, I thought it would be funny. I heard all that. Somebody else talking about O.J. Simpson and his Jaguar. Anyway, all that was going down back then. And uh, so I am just distraught as I am right now. Anyway, <laughs> I'm confused. And so... Uh, so I'm, you know, just crazy, going, you know, not knowing what we're going to do. And uh, all I do know is I remember, I can even see myself. This is how so significant moments of God really are to you. That I see, I remember where I was. I had an old flowery couch that somebody gave me. And... Um, it had a big flowery ottoman. It was blue with peach, big old peach flowers on it. And I remember going over to that ottoman, getting on my knees and throwing myself over that ottoman and saying, God, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. What? You know, I'm just like crying out to God. I mean, I need delivered. I mean, I need out of this situation. And he reminded me that I was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I had not prayed in the Holy Ghost since I was years ago filled with the Holy Ghost in the Church of God. He did not even know that I was filled with the Spirit. Because he was a good old Southern Baptist boy, and I sure wasn't going to tell him I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. He would have said, bye, you know. <laughs> anyway. So, I mean, literally, I, I said, Lord, I'm reading your word, and I'm miserable. I'm reading your word, and this is not getting any better. I mean, I'm just like, you know, what, what are we going to do? And he reminded me, because the scripture says in Romans, when you don't know how you ought to pray, that you can pray with groanings and utterance, words that cannot be articulated, talking about the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. And he reminded me of that. And I prayed in the Spirit, and I... Uh, you know, went and just talked and prayed it out and had peace come over me. I mean, because I had my kids loaded up and wanted to leave. I just didn't have any gas money. And so we, um, so after that, I said this. It wasn't a few weeks later. Pastor, you know, Earl, he came to me and he said, um, I just don't think we should stay here. I think we need to go back home. That's how quick God changed the situation because of the Holy Spirit. Because you can pray out the perfect will of God by praying and yielding to the Holy Spirit.
So he said, we need to go home. Yay! I'm thinking, go home. We don't have a home. Well, we'll move in with my mom. Yay! Move in with the mother-in-law. I mean, seriously. I'm thinking I've been delivered and now going into my mother-in-law's house. Seriously, this is how my mind was at the time that had to get under control that had to yield to the Word and the power of God and submit myself to the Word of God and actually do the Word of God because all these thoughts are running through my mind, right? Even still, after he says, we're leaving, we'll move back to Florida, we'll go stay with my mom, I'm still thinking, great, that's wonderful. Like, I really want to go live with your mom. Seriously. So there's the new battle that starts in your mind. Well, what's going to happen when we get there? Will you be able to find a job? How long are we going to have to live with my mother-in-law? Right? All these thoughts. So I realized that I had now the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to continue to carry on. The, Holy, the Lord reminded me, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Read the Word. Let the Word get in you, right? Let it get rooted down in you. Amen. So, going through all of that, we had to learn. Last week, we talked about the fact that we gave you scriptures out of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and 25 that the flesh and the spirit will battle daily. They're in constant conflict, the scripture says, right? They're battling daily. And so every day we have to, as Paul said, what? Crucify the flesh and its passions and its desires. And we also started reading out of Romans, and I don't believe that I finished Romans, and I want to finish it in Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 13, and I want to read it out of the Amplified, and I encourage you to read Galatians out of the Amplified as well, because it lets you know that the sinful nature, the desires uh, of the flesh are in constant conflict with your spirit, and we still have to be the ones to be able to control it. That's why he said one of the fruits of the spirit is what? Self-control. Self-control. He's not going to control our flesh for us. We have to control it, right? So uh, Romans 8, 4.13 out of the Amplified, it says, So that the righteous and the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not live our lives in the ways of the flesh, guided by worldliness and our sinful nature. That's what he calls it, our sinful nature, right? But we live our lives in the ways of the Spirit, guided by His power. For those who are living according to the flesh set their minds. So a person that still is having flesh issues, they've set their minds towards the flesh and its desires and its passions. This is what the scripture says. Right? 
So they've set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify what? The body. But those who are living according to the Spirit, those that are born again, that are to live according to the Spirit, what are they to do? Set their minds on the things of the Spirit and His will and His purpose. The Amplified says. Now the mind of the flesh is death. But now and forever, because it pursues sin, we will never be able to get away from this body, this flesh, desiring and having passions that would be sinful. But we can control it. Most people think, oh, we can't control it. Yeah, you can. And he's telling us right here how we can. Right? And then he says this, he says, the mind of flesh with its sinful pursuits is actively hostile towards God. It does not submit itself to God's laws. What is he talking about? God's laws. That's his word. His word is his law. It's God's law, not the, uh, you know, old covenant laws. He's, when he mentions it here, he's talking about the law, his word. His word can be called law. All right? So he says, uh, let me find where I was. Uh, okay, but those who are living according to the spirits. Oh, no, sorry, on down. The mind of the flesh with its sinful pursuits is actively hostile towards God. It does not submit itself to God's law since it cannot. And those who are in the flesh living a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses cannot please God. However, you, born-again believer, is what I'm saying, you are not living in the flesh, controlled by the sinful nature, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God lives in you, directing and guiding you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him and is not a child of God. If Christ lives in you, uh, though your natural body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness, which he provides. Come on. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but not to our flesh, our human nature, our worldliness, our sinful capacity to live according to the impulses of the flesh, our nature without the Holy Spirit. For if you are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you are going to die. Talking to believers. Because if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap death and destruction. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life and godliness. It's that simple. So all these people, as I said last week, that say, oh, the devil's making me doing it. No, you're feeding your flesh. You're feeding your flesh. Okay? So... Where was I? Y'all got to help me. Oh, you're going to die. But if you are living by the... Yeah, Earl had to die. Anyway. <laughs> but if you are living 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually, listen to what he's saying. If you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, look what you're doing. You are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. So when I yield to the Holy Spirit, come on, I'm putting to death sinful deeds of this body. I'm putting it to death. I'm killing it. Come on. I'm crucifying it. Every time I yield to the Word of God, every time I obey the Word of God, I put to death this sinful nature. Hallelujah. So, he says, and then you will really live forever. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? The Word of God is good. It's like medicine, the scripture says. Hallelujah. So we know that he said, I read it earlier in First, uh, Second Timothy last, uh, that he uh, didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a what? Sound mind. So he wants every believer to have a sound mind. He also said that what? We could have the mind of Christ. Come on. What else did he say? You know what else he said? He told us that we ought to be spiritually minded and not fleshly minded or sinfully minded. But we ought to be spiritually minded. He told us in scripture that we ought to have a sober mind. What does that mean? Literally, a mind that's not intoxicated by the world. That's what it means, literally. A sober mind. That you can get so intoxicated, drunk in your mind, with all of these things going on in it, that it'll make you sick. It'll make you mental. So, he also told us that we were to have a steadfast mind. Steadfast. Steadfast on what? Steadfast on the Spirit. Steadfast in the Word. Come on. Steadfast in the things of God. Not of the things of this world and all the lust, the pride of life, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. That's all that the world operates in. But we ought to set our mind, come on, to think like God. And the scripture says it. We're going to see it. Look here in 1 Peter. Now we're going to talk about this soul realm. How much long? I got about 15 minutes. Y'all got it? Buckle up, buttercup. That's what my uh, daughter-in-law and her family would tell our grands. Buckle up, buttercup, you know. When they got to put their, be- their seat belts and everything on. All right. So I adopted the saying. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. That's what he tells us we should be to the things of this world. Aliens and strangers to the things of this world. Come on. That's what he tells us to be. And then he goes on to say, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against what? Your soul. 
So how does your fleshly lust wage war against your soul? You see how they're connected, and I told you that. That all three of these things, we're separating for teaching purposes, but they're all working together. Just like your circulatory system is working in your body, like all of your organs are working in your body. Everything's working all at once, and when one thing's off, you know it. When one thing's out of whack, you know it. Right? Same is true right here. When one thing is out of whack, everybody sees it. They see your flesh responses. They see your behaviors. They see it when, they know, when, when something is not right. Because the flesh and its lust, which it's warring against your soul. And I told you the goal for every believer is to get your heart right with God. First and foremost, right? And then to allow the engrafted Word of God to change your mind to think like Him in every area of your life. That means if He says you ought to walk in love, you better walk in love. If He says you ought to tithe, you better tithe. If He says you ought to come on. Whatever He says to do, you better do it. In Scripture, Every dot and tittle, your life ought to be in alignment with every scripture. So, your spirit man is new, but we don't have time to talk about even your spirit man. He expects it to grow. Uh, but we're talking about the engraftedness of your soul. So, our goal is to allow the word to engraft within our mind, to transform our mind. There's other scriptures we're going to get to. So that what? Our mind that's been engrafted by the Word and our spirit that has been made new and is growing to the capacity uh, that God wants it to grow can have full dominion over this flesh. So that when the flesh starts talking and you want to bust somebody upside the head... Your spirit man says, whoa. Your mind says, whoa. Whoa. And if it's not saying that, then guess what that tells me? You're not feeding your spirit and you're not feeding your soul the proper things. It's not saying that the thought isn't going to come. And I've said this, but what are you going to do with the thought? Are you going to get it into alignment with the Word of God and with what your heart is telling you to do? Or are you going to just let it have its flesh fit? Because that's all it is, right? So we can feed them both. We can feed our flesh. We can feed our flesh and get so full of the flesh, feed it, feed it, feed it. And it's ugly. It's ugly. So let's look at First Ephesians. First Ephesians. <laughs> First Ephesians. Uh, what am I saying? Ephesians. First Ephesians. I don't even know why that's there. Ephesians chapter 2. 
1 through 3 and then verse 5 in the Amplified. All right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I hope he's making the connections. I hope your spirit's coming alive, your mind's coming alive, your flesh is being crucified. Flesh is an ugly thing. It says this, and you, talking to believers, he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. Say, I once walked that way. You were following the ways of this world, influenced by this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in all the disobedient, unbelieving, who fight against the purposes of God. Are there still people in the earth today? That have a daddy and his name is the devil. The church has forgot to remind people that there is a devil and there is a spirit and a power in this air and in this world that is operating in children of disobedience. Because that's who their father is and they're obeying him. And he's the father of lies. The devil. Satan. They're not good people. They're not nice people. They're daddies of the devil, and they have problems, and we're here to love them and show them the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let them know there's a good, good father that won't slave drive them and keep them in bondage. All right? So, it says, among these unbelievers, we all once lived in what? The passions of our flesh. Our behavior, here's that word, was governed by the sinful self. Remember, I made a little chart, and maybe we'll get into that next week, about the Word of God that's supposed to govern us. But anyway, he says that it was governed by the sinful self, selfishness, okay? Indulging the desires of the human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. He called your mind even sinful, so if, it, if, if, if mental illness is not a result of the curse of the fall, then why does the scripture call it sinful mind? No, because the fall affected our entire person, spirit, soul, and body. Okay? So our sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So he calls our minds sinful when we were lost and when we were walking according to the world, right? Ephesians 4, 17, uh, 17 through 19. I'm just giving you where these, uh, where these thoughts are coming from. Okay, the sinful mind, the things going on in your mind before you're born again. They're coming from the prince of the power of air, Satan. Okay, it says in Ephesians 4, 17 and 19. So this I say and solemnly affirm together with the Lord as in his presence that you must no longer live as the unbelieving Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. 
the futility of their minds. Your minds were worthless. That's what that word means, futility. It's worthless. It was no good before Christ. No good. So there was a problem, right? Before Christ, it was no good. You had the futility of your mind, and what does he say in the Amplified? And in the foolishness and emptiness of their souls. So there's that soul realm. For their moral understanding was darkened, and their reasoning, here it is, understanding, reasoning, it was what? It was blinded, right? Reasoning, it was clouded. They were alienated and self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the willful, there's your will, ignorance and spiritual blindness that is deep-seated within them. Because of the hardness and insensitivity of their heart, which we read last week that he was going to give us a what? A new heart, new soul, new mind, right? When we get born again. And then he goes on to say, And they, the ungodly, in their spiritual apathy, having become callous and unfeeling, have given themselves over as prey to the unbridled sensuality, eagerly craving the practice of every kind of impurity that desires may demand. If, in fact, you have really heard him, listen to this, if, in fact, you have really heard him, And have been taught by him, just as the truth is in Jesus, revealed in his life and personified in him, that regarding your previous way of life, you are to put off your old self completely and discard your former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires. You see that? So once we're born again, what am I saying? That doesn't mean that we're not going to have the desires of this sinful nature. But he tells us what we are going to have to do. He gave us a brand new spirit, but what are we going to have to do? Now we're going to have to put on the new man, the scripture says. We have to put this new man on. And what is this new man? It's being recreated, in, uh, transformed in the renewing of our mind. The Word of God being engrafted within us so that we can put on the new man. The man that we were really called to be. The spirit man, the spirit of man, the spirit of woman, right? We're to put it on. That means your flesh isn't going to feel like walking in love or yielding. But what do you do? Because your spirit is built up in the Word of God. Your mind's been renewed. What can you do? You can put it on. You can put it on because of the power of God working in your life. Right? Now, let's read a couple of other scriptures talking about this mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. This is very important because we, we saw that he lets us know what we were walking up underneath the influence, what we were walking with before Christ. So now he tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh or carnal. All right? That means I'm not going to fight somebody in the flesh. 
even though my flesh may want to, which could be that meaning, but there's other meanings to it as well. So he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh or carnal, but divinely powerful for pulling down the destruction of the fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying speculations, imaginations, and every lofty thing that has raised up against the knowledge of God. And what are we doing? Now we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you don't have the word in you, you're not going to know how to obey it. So he's letting us know that our, our um, war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these imaginations, these thoughts that the enemy, where does the thought start from? A word that's trying to be planted in your mind. If anyone's ever followed Joyce Myers for years, she's one that I started out listening to years ago. She lets us know. That's how I learned where the battlefield was. The battlefield is in the mind. So everything that the enemy is trying to do is get a thought in you, get an imagination in you, get something else in you that will come, will rate, try to raise itself up against the Word of God, the knowledge of God. So if your body is feeling sick, but yet you have the knowledge of God that by his stripes you are healed, then what, and the devil's saying you're going to die, you're never going to get over this sickness, what are you to do? You're to take that thought captive and line it up, the scripture says, to the word of God. What about the thought that, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm never going to be able to be who I'm supposed to be because of the, the past, right? Or whatever the case may be. I had to learn how to take those thoughts of the enemy trying to stop me so that I wouldn't fulfill the purpose of God and the plan of God in my life because I'm a 15-year-old worthless dropout that had a child that blah, 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 right? I mean, you name the lies he told me. Because he is the father of lies. And that's his ammunition. That's how he operates. That's how his mode of operation is in this word. Why the power of the air trying to infiltrate you with all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of images of yourself, everything that he can do to get a word in you, a seed in you to get you off. So that you won't rise up to be who God has called you to be. So that, he won't, that you won't rise up to, to do anything for him. He wants to keep you in bondage. And that's how he does it. By reminding you of your past. Reminding you. Of all your failures. All your mistakes. All the things that happened to you as a child. Keep those things in your mentality. 
all the things. Victim. That's where we, we call a victim mentality. Try to keep you bound as a victim to the things that happened to you as a child. What about a poverty, poverty mentality? Try to keep you in a place to where you never aspire to have anything that's going to keep you poor, keep you down. Why? So that you can't help anybody. Poverty mentality. Victim mentality. I mean, there's all kinds of mentalities because it all has to do with the bondage of the lies that we sit and we listen to instead of taking every thought captive. Every thought, good or bad, because he could give you some good thoughts to only lead you to a path of destruction. Oh, this looks good. That job looks great. Oh, look at all the money it's going to be. Come on, but yet get your family out of the will of God and out of the church and out of everything else. That's where you've got to be able to learn how to discern What's happening? What's going on? Right? So we're taking every thought captive. Let's read this uh, last scripture and then we'll close. Here it is. It says, Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, this is it again, but against rulers, against the powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. This is where he is wanting you to continue to stay bound with this, these, these powers of darkness to stay in your mind. Things that will keep you bound in his realm. That's where he operates. That is in his realm. And he wants you to stay in your mind so mixed up so that he can play. All of this medication, what is the thing that they're, I mean, it tells, how can you have mental illness and have thoughts of, how can you be taking medications yet you're having problems and yet have uh, thoughts of suicide? This is the devil's playground. And the medication is opening up your mind to these things. It's dealing with your mind so that he can still have free access. That's why he tells us we should be sober-minded. This isn't just talking about alcohol, right? It's in talking about intoxicating thoughts that people ultimately come Obsessed with. Obsessed with, what is it? Compulsive, obsessive behavior. They've become obsessed with a thought. Right? But yet we have the answers of the Word of God. That God in His Scripture wanted to restore our soul. Wanted us to have a sound mind. Wanted us to have the mind of Christ. And I do not see where Christ had a mental illness. So I am saying that the Word of God is the only thing that can set people free. 
and then keep their minds straight. The last scripture I want to read here is Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things that you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him, listen to this, and now being continually built up in him, becoming increasingly more established in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing in gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophies, and there are a lot of philosophies that are infiltrating the church today. Philosophies, empty deception. Do you know what empty deception? Pseudo-intellectual babble. Pseudo comes from, right? The mind. Psycho, right? That realm of the mind. Pseudo-intellectual. People saying that God can't heal you from the word of mental illness. You will have to stay on medication for the rest of your life. See that? Babble. According to the traditions and musing of mere men, following elementary principles of this world, rather than following the truth, the teachings of Christ. We are to follow the truth of God's Word and the teachings of Christ. And this is nothing new under the sun. It's been this way from day one. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. This world's philosophies, this world's, right, reasonings, reason, reason out why God can't heal you. This is what's happening. Philosophies of this world, right? He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be you what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what is the will of God and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. The only way we're going to prove the will of God is if we get our minds transformed from the ways of this world and get them back in alignment with the Word of God, the infallible Word of God, come on, that's able to save our soul. Amen. And so we have a choice to make as the day and the hours draw near and more and more, the Bible says darkness will become. What is darkness? Where the enemy operates, how he functions. He keeps people blinded from the truth. And so we have to make sure that we as believers stand upon the truth of God's word. And not back get down. Because we know, we read it in John chapter 4, that it is uh, the truth. Those who worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And that it is the truth that will set people free. Amen. The truth of God's word. The truth of God's word.
can set people free from this mind being mental and having an illness. If they'll allow the Word of God to transform their mind and get engrafted within them, to get their thinking in alignment. Proverbs 23, I think it was verse 7 that says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How is a thinking have to do with what you're becoming? Because if you meditate on that thought long enough, you will begin to believe it and become it and act on it. Amen. It's a proven fact. You know, uh, we used to live over in the Stark area in Lawdy where the state prison was, and Ted Bundy, you remember him? Anybody remember him back in the day? He said it all started off with looking, softly looking, meditating. He said it. And then it just, that is an insatiable lust that continues to grow as you meditate on it, as you set your mind on it. Just as the word said in Colossians, we're to set our mind on the things of Christ. We're to meditate in the word day and night. Why? Because that word will start becoming what the word says. It's the same as in the, nat in the in, you know, for the lost and for the natural realm. You begin to think on something, meditate on it long enough, and you'll start acting on it. It is proven in psychology. Proven. So, we need to get serious about getting the Word in our minds and in our hearts. And staying in the Word of God. Amen? And then responding to the Word of God. Not just having the knowledge, but we know what James says, deceiving ourselves. No, we are to be an actual doer of that Word. That's how the sanctification comes, like the Scripture says. It's when we become obedient to the Word of God. When we actually do it. When we do it. In every situation, every scenario, we yield ourselves to be a, obedient to the Word of God from the heart, not just because I'm going to do it, but from the heart, I want to do it because I love God. Amen?